Our text this morning <clears throat> comes from Second Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. In the aftermath of the devastating fires that have claimed the lives of so many people and then that followed by a hurricane, the world is once again talking about the rage of Mother Nature. There is no such entity as Mother Nature. What the world witnessed may perhaps have been the wrath of God the Father, but there is no Mother Nature. However, we need to be careful in our passing judgment upon those in the various parts of the world that have been affected by these results as though they were greater sinners and for that God has brought judgment. The Bible says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. When we witness repeatedly on our television screens these disasters, we need to know that they are in direct correlation with what we've been looking at over the past almost year now in our study of the events that are described in the epistle of Second Peter. These are signs and wonders, Peter said, must come to pass and be fulfilled before the second advent of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our previous studies, we've been reminded that although God restraints the return of the Lord Jesus Christ because He is long-suffering and He is not deliberately purposed that any should perish, the reality is He is coming again. And so we need to maintain a lifestyle that reflects our belief that He's coming again and represents our responsibility to the world and to the kingdom of God in a proper way. In the final two verses of this epistle, we examine two admonitions that are given to us by Peter Beware, lest you be led astray, and then grow in the sphere of grace and knowledge. These two admonitions identify for you and for me our agenda as we await the return of the Lord and uh, anticipate His second coming. Let's look at these two verses then in closing out the epistle. Ye therefore, beloved, 
seeing you know these things before. Beware, lest you also being led away with the air of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness. This verse begins, Ye therefore beloved, calling attention to those to whom Peter has addressed this letter, those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, he uses uh, this statement then of warning and of instruction in the text. He identifies those to whom the letter has been written as the beloved. That word is a word that is peculiar to the New Testament. We find it frequently as it relates to our Lord's provision for each of us, His care and His concern for us. Beloved could literally be translated from the Greek word agapatoi, you who are loved with a self-sacrificial love, but it doesn't stop there. It identifies you who are loved with a self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving and continues to love regardless of the response. Those who are born again are entered into an eternal relationship with God through a spiritual birth, a new birth. And because we are given the righteousness of God at Christ's expense, we are declared holy and without blame, and we are loved with a self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in His giving to us regardless of our response to Him. Now in the weeks that follow, we're going to look at some of these things that Peter has called us to as he identifies our growing in grace, our then having become aware that these things are upon us, to grow in grace and to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are able to grow because we are in that sphere of His self-sacrificial love based on what Christ did, not what we do, other than our accepting what Christ has done on our behalf as the free gift of God. Those of you who are loved with a self-sacrificial love that manifests itself in giving and continues regardless of the response, uh, he said, seeing that you know these things before. Peter used the word prognoskentes, which identifies the concept of knowing beforehand. Gnosko is the common word for knowledge, that is knowledge that is inception, knowledge that we are taking in. But he places uh, that preface on the beginning of the word, actually a preposition 
pra, which, which means before. So literally, he says, having gained this knowledge previously as a matter of principle. But notice in the study guide, I have identified this is a participle which identifies a principle. It's a basic principle that we have known and been exposed and learned these things that Peter has spoken of previously. But it's in the present tense. We've known it beforehand, but with the use of the present tense, it's continuing, that knowledge continues through the present time. So, as a matter of principle, we have come to gain this knowledge and we continue to know and uh, it is knowledge that we knew beforehand. Beware is his first admonition. That word beware, phulosaste, means participate in guarding yourself. To participate in guarding yourself. We get that participation out of the fact that this is in the middle voice, which means the subject participates in the action and is affected by the result. We are to participate in the action and be affected, therefore, by guarding ourselves. This guarding is not something that we have to do all alone. Because Jesus said as He was talking to His disciples on the night of His betrayal just hours before His arrest and just a short period of time before His crucifixion on the Roman cross, He identifies for them the reality that He must go so the Holy Spirit can come and the Holy Spirit is our partner in living the Christian life. The disciples didn't understand much of what Jesus was saying about the coming of one like Him, uh, one exactly like Him. Didn't understand that concept uh, that He was expressing to them. And He said, I know you don't understand this right now, but later you will understand. And we see the writers then of the New Testament having that understanding given to them and bringing it to us that we don't have to live the Christian life alone. It's a partnership because we were entered into union with Christ as our personal Savior so that we share His eternalness and uh, we have the operating uh, uh, influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. The middle voice was important uh, for a writer like Peter who barely spoke, spoke Aramaic, let alone handle the, the language of uh, literature at that time, the Koine Greek. But through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the gifting of God, He is able to pin for us the reality 
We don't walk alone. God doesn't call us to a calling that He does not join us in that walk. As a matter of fact, we join Him in that walk. And so the middle voices used here indicate that we are to participate in guarding ourselves. It's important that we note while we don't have to walk alone and do it alone, that neither should we attempt to do it alone, but we need to participate with the Holy Spirit that has been given to us to assist us and using the Word of God as our weapon. In the days that are ahead, the Sundays that are ahead, we will explore that even more fully. Beware. Participate in the guarding of yourselves, lest ye also being led away with the air of the wicked. Fall from your own steadfastness. Lest ye also is better rendered for us in order that you not be led away with the air of the wicked ones. It is important that we guard ourselves, that we participate with Him in guarding ourselves, because there is the danger that we as a matter of principle, might be led away with the air of the wicked ones that have been described, the lawless ones, and that we might fall from our steadfastness. The constant emphasis by the Apostle Peter to participate in our alertness and our guarding in order that we do not be led away. That phrase, being led away, is translated from one Greek word, which means as a matter of principle, being led away. The passive voice indicates there are going to be forces that are going to operate against us and will attempt to lead us away. As it had, remember in our studies, we have seen Peter talking about the false prophets and the false teachers that are among us and how we need to guard against that because as they were led away, there is the danger of our being led away as well. If we participate continually in our guarding with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, we will not be led away. But if we don't do that, there is the sincere danger of our being led away. Led away in a point of time with the air of the wicked ones. The word air is a feminine word, indicate that air is a response by the subject. It's a faulty response, but a response. 
As we are exposed to the Word of God, we understand then the mind of Christ. And as we better understand the mind of Christ, we are then equipped to recognize false teaching as it comes in to the church and among us. The error is going to be a result of our response, a negative response to the command to beware, to the command to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it is that same response of error that the wicked ones became involved in. The word wicked, athesmon, means lawless. It identifies those who refuse to be governed. As we are exposed to the Word of God, it is to become a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Its truths are to find lodging in our lives, in our hearts, that is, in our right frontal lobe where our norms and standards are, where our conscience is, that we might know the direction of God and that we might submit to it. Those false prophets and false teachers have refused to be governed by the Word. And if we refuse to be governed, then we too will fall from our own stability. The steadfastness, the stability of our daily walk with Him is in direct relationship to the Word of God, to our knowledge of it, and to our embracing it. We don't have to know it all. As a matter of fact, there seems to be no way that we can know it all. Because the deeper we get into the Word, the deeper it gets. And yet, with the surface things that are given to us in the Word of God, we are able to develop a steadfastness. That steadfastness, that stability in our life, will be in direct proportion to our knowledge and to our application of that knowledge. He continued in verse 18 by then saying, But instead of being led away, as those lawless ones have, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word but identifies a contrast. In contrast to being led away from our own steadfastness, from our own stability, we are admonished to grow in grace. The word grow identifies that concept of continuous action. It's a continual growth process that we as children of God are to experience. Grow, however, he says, in the sphere of grace. The word grace 
is that word that we have identified so frequently in our studies and identified it by the concept that grace is manifest to the born-again child of God in three areas. For salvation, we have grace. In order to live the Christian life, we have grace. In order to have hope and confidence for eternity, we have grace. These primary aspects of grace, grace for salvation, grace for living the Christian life, and grace for eternity, identify for us then where we are to be growing, the sphere in which we are to grow. We use the word sphere as it is used in the Word of God. It's it's actually an illustration of an environment, a context in which these things take place. Grace for salvation is eternal. Grace for living the Christian life is dependent upon our utilizing the tools that God has given us in His Word and through the structure that He has established for the church. We are to grow in the sphere of grace. In that environment, in that context of God's righteousness, of God's resources, and of God's realm. Not only are we to grow in the sphere of grace, but we are to do that in the knowledge, to grow in the knowledge of our Lord. The word knowledge, gnosai, is the same form of the word that we had previously, but we had a preposition attached to it and the structure was turned into a participle as a matter of principle. And it talked about the things that we have known beforehand. He says, that's not sufficient. For your participating in guarding against being led astray and led away from your own steadfastness, we need to continue to grow in knowledge. This word identifies that concept of the inception of knowledge, the gaining of knowledge. It's in the continuous action that we've seen previously. And here the noun is in the dative locative instrumental case, which means uh, it's to our advantage. And it becomes the means uh, by which we are able to defend ourselves against the air of false teachers and of false prophets. Grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice that Peter uses the entire title and function. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word Lord identifies 
his deity. He was, in fact, God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and without Him was nothing made that was made. And that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word Lord identifies then His deity. The word Savior identifies His function. Soteros identifies the idea and the understanding that He came to redeem us from our iniquity. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Lord took upon Himself the function of being our sacrifice, of redeeming us from iniquity, of providing for us eternal life and providing for us resources by which we are able to live from day to day without fear and experience the peace of God from God as we receive the gift of salvation from Him. Lord refers to His deity Savior refers to His function. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, the angels said to the shepherd, which is Christ the Lord. He is our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Certainly in that first generation of Christianity, where Peter is writing this epistle, there is the need to identify who the Christ was in the humanity and the person of Jesus Christ. Wherever we find the word Jesus, it is a reference to His personage as a human being. His taking upon Himself flesh and blood and living among us. Jesus is His humanity. And in that humanity, He deprived Himself of His natural function as God. Did not cease to be God, but He ceased to utilize His attributes in order that He might become dependent upon the Spirit of God in the same way that we are able to be dependent upon the Spirit of God so that we can experience uh, the fullness of life. He did it in a perfect fashion. We fall short. Hence our use of 1 John 1.9 all too frequently. Certainly it is a necessity and is to be applied, but we need to get into the principles of James in dealing with temptation before it becomes sin, rather than covering the sin after it has transpired by the confession of sin. Lord, His deity, Savior, His function, Jesus, His humanity, Christ, a reference to His being the Messiah, the sent one of God, 
the Savior of the world, the one identified in the Old Testament by the word Messiah and fulfilling that by the Greek concept of that word Christ. He became the fulfillment of all that was required in order that we might have life and have it abundantly. He went to the slave market of sin and once and for all ransomed our redemption. And much like the the good Samaritan, he not only took care of our immediate need, but the needs that we might anticipate in the future. Remember the good Samaritan the next morning as he went on his journey, he took out money and gave it to the innkeeper and said, now if you spend more than this, if more than this is required, I will pay you for that when I return this way again. Our Lord has provided not only for our past sins, but for our present and our future sins, which we abuse, and as we abuse it, we then shortchange ourselves of the blessing, but have the continuing forgiveness. Christ refers to His being the Messiah. Lord, His deity. Savior, His function. Jesus, His humanity. And Christ, His role as He came to fulfill all that that was required on the part of man. To Him, we we are admonished by Peter to get that knowledge of Him. And then Peter says to Him, Be glory both now and forever. Amen. The word glory, doxus, identifies then and designates to Him that which belongs to Him, the praise and the manifestation of that to Him. Both now, Peter said, and forever. Not only does that glory belong to Him now, but it belongs to Him forever. Actually, the word forever is a combination of three words. Into the day of the age. Into the day of the age. Literally, into the age. But the emphasis is placed upon the beginning of that. At the end of this uh, world, there is going to be a new world There's going to be a new earth. There are going to be new heavens, as Peter has stressed. And that glory that is owed to the Lord Jesus Christ will carry on from this time into that time and forever. The word Amen is certainly fitting. The word Amen means let it be so and let the saying of it be charged to my account. When you say amen to something, somebody said, you're saying I agree with that and charge my account for saying it. So you need to be careful how you utilize the word. Though I haven't seen uh, an excessive use of it here in our congregation uh, from time to time following prayer and whatnot. Uh, I do hear 
that. It means let it be so and let the saying of it be charged to my account. That's not in the text itself, uh, but certainly is appropriate. So Peter says this, You therefore, who are loved with a self-sacrificial love, having gained this knowledge previously, participate in guarding yourself, lest being led away by the air of the lawless, you fall from your own stability. But grow in the sphere of grace and knowledge from the source of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him belongs the glory both now and into the day of the age. In view of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again, there is a conduct that we should maintain. There are some things that we need to see too. We've been provided with knowledge concerning His coming again. We're to act on that knowledge by being on guard so that we will not be led away. We mentioned that the word air is from the Greek word which means to forsake the right path and we have to be on guard so that we are not led off the path. There has, in this Laodicean period of church age, there has been a departure from the manner in which the Word of God has been presented. In the early days, there was that exegetical approach, that is, where the word exegetical means to dig down into it and extract the ore out from it. And there was that reading of the Word, reading of the Scripture, and then the exegeting of it. Because of limited language skills or desire to pursue those skills, we kind of moved away from the exegetical, analytical aspect of it to a more expository approach, which I might readily admit is more attractive to the pew-sitter. To not get into the the linguistics of a thing or to the uh, uh, analytical aspect of it, uh, I've, like I said before, I have had a number of people say to me, I'm disappointed I wanted to come to church. I didn't intend to come to seminary. But sitting in your church service is like sitting in a seminary class. Yes, sir, I agree, because that's by design. But that's not real popular. And so there was a moving away from that to a more expositional teaching of the Word of God. That's what it says, now this is what it means, and putting it in everyday language. And as a result, there are different interpretations. When you avoid the analytical aspect, there are different uh, interpretations uh, that are developed out of various scriptures. 
But now we have moved further away from that expositional aspect till we our seminaries have said we need not to teach the Word of God. We need to storytell the Word of God. Because cultures are different. We need to be able to just orally relate the story and then we can modify it to fit the culture and that way not be offensive to others that might be exposed to it. Well, that in itself ought to be enough warning for us to avoid that and to go back to the old way as Isaiah said, look for the old paths and walk in them. But we are to be guarded. We are to participate in our guarding. And the only way we can truly know error is to know truth. Guarding is participatory. That is, we need to participate in our own guarding. But we have a partner that will assist us to keep us on the right path. The Holy Spirit and then the knowledge and wisdom that is based on the Word of God. I resigned to pastorate in Monrovia, California and moved back to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It was God's doing. It was not a choice of my own and one that I rebelled against a bit in the process of finally making that decision to go. For five years, we had pastored the church in Monrovia. It was a church that was deeply divided and uh, and confused because in a three-week period, the pastor had been exposed as having a sexual relationship with the chairman of the deacon's wife for over a year. And then the associate pastor three weeks later was exposed for having a sexual relationship, an ongoing relationship with another woman in the congregation. So it required a lot of care a lot of love, and a lot of the Word of God. And we had spent five years in establishing that. The first two years was with resistance to being thrown out, and the, new, and the former pastor that was now divorced from his wife and was going to marry the deacon's wife uh, to have him come back. For two years, we dealt with that issue. And finally, the church had stabilized and was growing. And the Bible college was uh, we moved from uh, Huntington Beach up there. And there was growth going there. And then God moved us to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. The church called a man that had never pastored before. We all have to start somewhere. 
They called a man who had never been to seminary. I drugged mine out for a hundred years. But he stated that he was not a Bible student. He was a prayer warrior. And he would go into his closet and pray that God would lay on him the Scripture that he was to preach that Sunday. And then he would pray that God would give him the interpretation of that Scripture. Folks are drawn to prayer closets. I often issue the warning and the sign ought to be on the door of every prayer closet that there's more than one kind of spirit that hangs around that door. Because some of his sermons contradicted others of his sermons, but they were all the revelation from God because God gave it to him as he prayed for it. Well, it became obvious he was more interested in spending time in Hollywood and rubbing shoulders with the actors and actresses there than he was in the study of the Word of God. If we are subject to the interpretation of what the Scripture says without the analytical study of what it says, we are in danger of being led off the path. If we know the truth and something is given to us contradictory to it, we then can check that out before we embrace it. There must be some documentation to that which we are exposed to in the Word of God. We are to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Now according to Isaiah chapter 33 verse 6, wisdom and knowledge are the stability of our times. And so in order to be stable, we need to seek wisdom and we need to take in knowledge. Seeking wisdom is a continuous process and taking in knowledge is certainly continuous. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. The word wisdom means the ability, it's the Greek word sophos, it's the ability to understand how to apply the facts to one's circumstance. Knowledge is useless if we don't know how or we refuse to apply it to our circumstance. We can have wisdom for the asking. Knowledge doesn't come so easy. Knowledge involves that participation in the exposure to the Word and uh, the understanding of it. We are to grow then in the sphere of grace and 
knowledge from the source of our Lord God, our Savior, our Deliverer, Jesus the Man, Christ the Mission. And we are to grow in that knowledge that He has given us. It's in the sphere of grace, God's resources, at Christ's expense, that we are enabled to grow by taking in knowledge. And we do that in the sphere of grace. We'll be exploring those things in the days of the Sundays that are ahead as we move away from the verse-by-verse study of this epistle and get into some categorical doctrines that have been exposed to us and to better understand how to relate them and live that life. To Him, Peter said, belongs the glory. We are to reflect that glory to others as we live our life out here upon the earth both now and into the day of the age. Any kind of glory that we achieve belongs to Him. And now it belongs to Him. And unto the end of the age, it belongs to Him. So we need to be able to relate easily to the techniques of living the life of making the application, so that as we are exposed to truth, we know how to apply it and relate it to our day-by-day circumstances. For Christianity is not just a retirement program. It's not just designed for eternity. It's designed for the here and now. Otherwise, every time a person would be saved, zap, they'd be going up to heaven as they joined the kingdom Moses coming? Oh, as they join the kingdom of God. But it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes under righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To God be the glory because great things He has done.